safe space sometimes lives in the tradition, in the kitchen, in the cooking, in the act of listening, in the, I hear you, and I don't know what to say. And that's okay, because I'm here with you, because I live through you, if you allow it. Hey everyone, I'm Natasha T. Miller, and this is The Science of Grief. A reminder, this podcast is not a substitute for professional help. If you have a mental health concern and need someone to talk to, please contact a mental health professional or your doctor. If you are in a suicidal crisis or emotional distress, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That number, 1-800-273-8255. Today, we're going to hear from Jackie Garrett. Talking with our producer, Patrick Bond, Jackie shares fond memories of her grandmother and important lessons she's learned after her grandmother's passing, like slowing down. She also talks about how she's found a new way to honor her grandmother's memory by cooking. Later on, I'll talk with Demika Houston about the push for productivity and how to slow down and embrace the moments we have. We'll also talk about how taking up a new hobby or interest like cooking can be a beneficial form of therapy or can help with passing down legacy or family traditions. Here's Patrick and Jackie's conversation. Now, this item here Mm -hmm. is actually a framed card that my grandma received, God, like 40 years ago or something. Now, Mm -hmm. there's some kind of writing in here, and I'll I'll get to that in a minute, but just to describe it, there's this lady, and she's just dressed in this nice silhouette, hugging, beautiful black dress, and she's just oozing with sex appeal and just looking beautiful. And she's like writing a love note or something. It's just totally like a sensuous, pretty thing that my grandma had hung up on her wall. And I'd like to be clear, when people think of their grandmas, they don't usually think of like grandma. Sexy. <laughs> right, like grandma displays burlesque figures. But no, 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 no. Like this is just the kind of person she definitely always was. Um, she held on to this. This was a gift from someone um, and she framed it just because she liked it so much. And um, I've never, never taken it out. I've never looked to see like what the message is. It is a mystery to me that I, I am not ready yet. I guess I haven't been ready up to this point to like check it out. So when do you there, think you'll be ready? You know, that is a very good question. My mom recently asked me and I said, I, I'm, I'm not ready yet. You know, today might be a lucky day. Who knows? could you tell me a little bit about like your relationship to your grandmothers she seems like a very cool and a little unusual woman yeah she she was super dynamic so back when my mom was like you know my mom was born in 1975 so probably Mm -hmm. like around the time my mom was around 10 um, my grandma got into a really bad car accident and she actually lost the use of both of her legs and so when I was growing up I knew her as someone who always got around on crutches Mm -hmm. she did just you know, did her life just fine. Um, In her later years, she ended up using one of those little, those little scooters and she called it her Cadillac. It was like a red, (laughs) she was like, this is my red Cadillac, you know? (laughs) My grandma was a bartender for like 30 years down um, in Detroit in the former Cass Corridor, right? Like we don't think of it as the Cass Corridor anymore. It's like something else now, like over by like Tech Town and stuff now. Um, But the bar is still there. It's uh, the Z's Villa, I think it's called, um, right off Woodward. And I actually, when I was a baby, I was like raised every day going there to work with her and my mom. Like my grandma was like the cook and the bartender and my mom was like a bartender also. So back when I was, I was very much like, like infant Jackie, my grandma worked as a bartender there and she was handicapped. And so she worked like behind the bar, Um, but she got around just fine apparently to serve drinks and cook. My mom actually, when she was about 20, worked there also. And then she would put me in the little exorcisor, like, and in the bar, like, they would get to the bar. And my mom would, like, put me in the exorcisor, and I'd just be, like, sitting in the bar, hanging out. Um, There's a picture of me, apparently, somewhere. Um, It was the place that the Detroit Fire Department and the Detroit Police Department apparently really liked downtown. Um, And somewhere, there's a picture of me as, like, a toddler with, like, a big old police cap on. And, like, I'm just hanging out with, like, some of the regulars. And it, it was, it's really cute. I imagine, like, if I had walked in there as a as a patron, yeah, and he was behind the bar, 
it would be like, oh, hey, Jackie, like, what's up? You know, that type of big energy. Like, she would just give it to everybody, you know? Like, she had this way of, like, remembering everybody's names and, like, making everybody feel like they're the main character. So I would say that if you were a patron, you would feel like the star of the show. Um, and she would already know what you want before you even like walk through the door and she would remember your name after the very first time. <laughs> so my grandma was always pretty, um, she was like very proud of kind of the gritty upbringing that she had. Um, and she took a lot of pride in like her relationships and like a job that gave her access to get to know so many like interesting people. You know, the cast corridor was like a very different place when she was remembering it. Um, And she like really took pride in the fact that it's like, you know, I knew people from the city, like people that were like judged or discarded, like those were her friends. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah. Tell stories like, you know, I was friends with like the pimps and the hookers and like, this is what she would say. And like, you know, like 50, 60 when she was telling these stories and she was like very proud of it. She was like, you know, people, they don't want to be judged. They want to be heard. People want authentic relationships where they feel like honored and respected. And you like give them the same service you would give to someone who you think is more important than them. Right. And um, one of the things that she was like incredibly proud of was, you know, she was a bartender who worked in kind of like a gritty, like really uh, area and she would always say, you know, Jackie, I got, I make friends with everybody, whether they're business people or pimps or hookers. Like I talk to everybody the exact same, you know, like everybody deserves respect. You treat everybody the same. And you know what? When you treat people with dignity and respect, they return that to you and you bring out the best in them. And that was something that really stuck with me. And I think up to this point in my life, that lesson has been pretty battle tested. Like you can come across just about anybody. And if you give them the dignity and patience and like inquisitive human interest that they deserve, like you will really truly like bring out the best in people. And you'll know a side of people that nobody else does. You know, you'll meet people who everybody's like, oh, you know, so-and-so is so, you know, hard to deal with, or they're so this or that. And then you'll have just an entirely different perspective because you went through the like mental process of just treating people with decent human dignity, right? Yeah. Um, It was just something that really stuck with me. I think my grandma, like, taught me the empathy and understanding and, like, reservation of judgment that has, like, helped me so much in my career, but also navigating um, just, like, casual social relationships, even. The topic that you wanted to discuss was loss. Could you tell me a little bit about, like, what loss means to you? Oh boy. Okay. Um, in a broad sense, in a way that I think everybody understands, loss is about, to me, it is about, it is something both tangible and intangible, right? Like, I'm here today to discuss the loss of a person, right? And so, like, I'll never get to, like, hold that person's hand again or, like, seek them for counsel or ask them for a favor or knowledge, right? And those are, like, the tangible things you lose. But you also lose... Wow, this is tough. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Give me one second, please. Okay, of course. Loss is about um, the future that you lose with someone as well, right? You don't get to share, like, future big moments with them, right? Um, when someone's gone, you know, you you have a catalog, you have a menu of things that you, like, hope to share with them, right? You hope to share, like, little breakfasts. You hope to share, like, surprise afternoons, birthdays, like, the birth of your kid or something, right? And mm-hmm. You know, they just won't be there. And so, like... When I think of loss, I can parse through really easily, like, you know, someone is gone in a very tangible way. Um, But what's harder to deal with is knowing that, like, the hopes and the future have been lost, too. (laughs) So originally, when I I thought I might, um, what what story I was trying to share, you know, I had dabbled in a couple. But ultimately, I think the most powerful one that I wanted to settle on um, was about my grandma's passing and how it actually inspired a love of cooking with me. So 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start there because it goes really. So, so my grandma being a person with super limited mobility, right. She was kind of in a lot of ways bound to her home, if not for like my mom being able to help her and like get her out the house. Right. So my grandma loved cooking. I mean, like her years as a bartender, she like cooked, she had some staples, like cooked a mean burger, right. Just like has a technique that has been passed down to my mom and now me. Right. And um, it was really interesting because honestly, up to the point that I was about, up to the point she died when I was like 2018. So was that three years ago? I was 22, 22, about 22 at the time when she passed. I could not cook at all. I couldn't fry an egg. I couldn't bake a cake without fear. I couldn't chop a broccoli head. It was, it was crazy. I mean, I was incompetent, like no adult life skills at that point. It was awful. I was spending a lot of money going out to eat. And I didn't really um, appreciate when my grandma would just be like talking about cooking. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. Like, that's the thing you like. I didn't really bond with her over that, but I loved what she would cook. Right. So yeah, (laughs) he's did great, but I just, the process, you know, who cares? the, The food just appears. Right. And so, you know, fast forward um, around the time she died, actually, my parents, I lived at home with them um, and they were actually in 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 cooperation with her insurance company. um, My parents were planning on moving my grandma into our home and having it completely handicap accessible. And so the three, four months before my grandma passed away, we were actually living in a long stay hotel for like four months And I was sleeping on a fold-out couch and I was like living with my parents in a pretty decent hotel for like four months straight, going to work, going to class every day, coming home. It was just not ideal. And while we were doing that, our house was being completely retrofitted, handicap accessible to make so that she could first get up on the porch, right? You can't get Mm -hmm. on stairs. Um, We had to widen the doorways. We had to like make the bathroom completely bigger, like knock down rooms. It was insane. There was, it was mm-hmm. uninhabitable for four months. And so a week before she was supposed to move in, she passed away after we had lived in hotels for like four months. Right. It was, it was heartbreaking. It was, you know, when I talk about like the death of what you hoped, right. Like, yeah. It was, it was crazy. We had banked on like another 30 years with her, right. As you do with anybody. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, wow, you know, I'm really looking forward to like making breakfast with my grandma and having her teaching me how to cook. Right. Like I knew that that was something that mattered to her. And I was so busy at the time that I was like, wow, you know, just having her around will give me that opportunity to like learn. Right. And so she passed away and it was just like, it was, it gutted me in like a very intimate way. Um, and so that was in July. And so my birthday is actually December 30th. So it's right around New Year's Eve. I was like, time to set some resolutions. You know, I'm going to learn how to cook. Yeah. I was fully at the point where I was like, I was very much grieving still. I knew that that was something I had wanted to do with her. Right. And so mm-hmm. like, I knew that she wasn't going to be here to share that with me anymore. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's not just about the cooking, right. It's about the like passing down of the lesson. It's about like Mm -hmm. the relationship you build and sustain that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Built in like the care and love of the activity as much as it's built in like the share and the exchange. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I knew that that part was gone. That was the loss. Um, But I Mm -hmm. said, you know, I'm still going to learn how to cook and, this is something she would have wanted for me. Um, and also I, I started to understand it's not just about the food. It's about like how many friends did my grandma have because she was so into cooking. Like it's just, it was such like an outlet for me when I started mm-hmm. learning. So I started learning really simple things, things I could have never done. I mean, like couldn't fry an egg, right? Learned how to do it. Learned how to simply bake a chicken, something so easy that like anybody can do. I was like, I was on cloud nine. It was it was like triumphant. And so 2020, I would say was like the year that I started like posting all my food on like my Instagram and stuff. And like, that was when I like started getting so many friends and so many people who I kind of like knew on the fringes, they would like Mm -hmm. reach out and they'd be like, wow, you know, that looks so good. How do you do this? You know, like, can we, can we do like a cooking date? Right. And it started like, like those types of relationships started like opening from me just like sharing my interests, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so after around that time, around 2020, I started having like Sunday girls brunches, right? Or, you know, I would have my mentees help me cook. I have two mentees, actually. Um, They're both like 20-year-old young ladies now. And I would have them do cooking dates with me, right? It just became like this really fun set of activities that we would do. We would do like potluck brunches where everybody kind of brings like one of the ingredients for like the brunch. And then, you know, I would cook or something. It It was just so fun, like the ways that really like cooking opened up a community in a lot of ways. I was able to introduce so many of my friends who had never met, right? Like now we're like literally breaking bread together, right? And so in a lot of ways, I was strengthening like my own relationships, both past and like present and future, and also introducing like other people to each other through, you know, something that I just learned myself. It, it was like, it's very like emotionally impactful when I think about like how I've developed like a sincere love for cooking. It's the technique, right? It's the like endless pursuit and repetition of practice. It's mind numbing and therapeutic. It's like an outlet for learning. It's an outlet for community and relationship building. And it feels good when you make something good, right? It's like a job well done. It's like nice when when what you make is well received. That always feels good. And so there, there's a lot that goes into it now, but I would have never learned, right? If like, mm-hmm. if I had never like drawn that line and that dot and connected, like, you know, this was something I had intended and like wanted with someone who I'll never get that now. Mm-hmm. So after like just going back a little bit, you and your family had moved out and were staying at a hotel for four months. And then your grandma had passed after like all that effort had been put in to try and like renovate the place to have her live there. Like what was that like in that moment for you and for like your family? We had banked so much on the future with her, right? Who could Mm -hmm. have ever guessed that this would have happened? I mean, like, there was so much time, effort, and energy putting put in to make it where she could move in with us, right? Um, and she passed so suddenly. It was completely unexpected. It was like one day she had a cold, and the next morning my mom went over there to visit at like 7 a.m., and she found her, um, passed away. You know, she died alone, right? Like she was an unwed you know, person with kind of like a disability. And, you know, me and my mom, my mom actually was her care provider. And so like she was there around the clock quite Mm -hmm. often. And so, you know, my mom found her. Um, I'm glad I wasn't there, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom says that's something you like never forget the sight of. It's like burned to the back of your eyelids. Like, like seeing someone, discovering someone like that you love dead, the image just never leaves you, you know? She talks about it pretty often, how it happens at like the worst moments, right? Like you remember that sight, that that vision, that moment. It was pretty impactful. Um, at the time, I was a full-time student. I was also interning, working like part-time, 30 hours sometimes. And I'm in this space where I'm, you know, like a budding young professional and nobody ever taught me that it's okay to like step back and be sad and like take a break and have personal time. And, you know, you don't have to like throw yourself into work to cope or to make sure that people don't think you're lazy. Um, And so I was just really in this, this space where people were telling me like, you know, take, take a step back, you know, take time, but I didn't feel like I had permission to do that somehow still. I I can't quite put my finger on it, right? There was just this incredible pressure for me to like press on. And I don't think I missed a day of work, which I'm not proud of. I'd like to be clear that like looking back, that was harmful and toxic to be able to say that. But Mm -hmm. I think I went to every class. I think I attended every day of my internship, my work. Not only did it rob me of like really important time to like reflect and like you know, be with my family. I thought about how like my, my compulsion with work up to that point, right. Mm -hmm. The pressure to build something in your, your early twenties. I was a great granddaughter. I have no regrets about that. Right. Like I would come over unannounced like two, three times a week. Right. You know, I'm very much at peace with the effort and time that I put in, but I just know that 
there were so many things I didn't get to do because of that compulsion to work. Like her and my parents went on these like road trips and vacations. Some of her like only last vacations in like 10 years, you know, and I didn't go cause I didn't take those days off from work or that those days off from school, you know, it was like, Oh, that's not as important as my responsibilities. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as I move forward, I am so much more deliberate about, making sure to set aside time for the most important things, right? Like work will be there, you know, <laughs> your, your school, it, it's still going to be there. <laughs> you know, it's, you can definitely take a step back being transparent and open with people and just letting them know that you really need to be away. This is not the most important thing to me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. And being a person and being whole and having boundaries is, important for the rest of my life. I just have such a different perspective. Here I am at 25, early professional, getting my feet on the ground, right? Like establishing myself as a peer with really smart, credible people. You know, there's a lot of pressure there, but at the end of the day, I know that I know for me that I'm sometimes just going to have to be unavailable and Mm -hmm. make sure that I'm watering those plants, like those really important things. I feel like a lot of young people out there also are going through the same thing right now. They're like, I have to be very successful. I have to put in like this hundred plus hours a week because that's how you do it. And that's what people are telling them to do. So I guess if like you could go back and talk to yourself at that stage in your life, or if you can speak to the young people today that are in that mindset, what would your advice be for them? WDET celebrates 75 years of public radio with gratitude to our dedicated listeners. Listeners like you cherish community voices, local music, and independent journalism. This spring fundraiser, we're counting on your support, just as you count on us. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap Donate in the mobile app. Well, I think I'll address first, like, the feeling, what, like, causes us to feel like we need to work, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. for me, it was, like, it was straight up knowing, like, I am my parents' dream, you know? Like, I get to go to college first, so, like, I have to be the best to do it, and I have to, like, there's this incredible pressure to, like, make your family proud and, like, make their investment worth it. I think for a lot of first-generation college students, you like see your family and you know that like they don't have a retirement plan, like you're the retirement plan. Um, And so at 19, 18, 20, that's an incredible burden to carry, but it's real. And I still, you know, 25, here I am. I still think about that. I just said that yesterday, right? Like I am my parents' retirement plan for better or for worse. Um, Right now they better not retire because they're not going to do too well, but they still have a couple more years if they're banking on me. And so I would say, you know, I, I want to acknowledge that first for like young people who feel that that pressure. But I would also say like if I could pick a few things and be really, really, really good at them and committed to them and not everything that glitters is gold and you don't have to overextend yourself and overcommit because not only when you overcommit do you like stress yourself out and you feel like this intense pressure to deliver, but you also feel like you're under delivering when you overcommit. And so that I would like to address that. But additionally, like just in time spent when you're you're like on the hamster wheel and you think sacrifice is all there is to life. You say no to dinners with your friends, you say no to nights out, you say no to family vacations, you say no to grandma when she wants to catch up and have lunch. I would say that there is so much more to life than sacrifice. And life is just as much about like carving out like joy and and stillness and time um, as it is about like grind culture. And so I guess if I could go back, I would definitely work less. (laughs) And I tell my like students that I deal with, there will be times that you have to sacrifice but also like go do all those things you want to do. Like go on the spring break trip, go on like the summer excursion, find a way to do the study abroad. Like I never did any of that because I was so caught up in like working. And honestly, I don't even know where that money went now. I couldn't even tell you where the money went. Like I should have went and studied abroad. I should have went on that spring break trip with my friends. I should have went on that like Tennessee trip with my parents and my grandma, right? Um, And I was busy working and I mean, 
And on one hand, you know, I benefited greatly, but on the other hand, I feel sincerely that I lost important time. Um, and work will always be there. It's not going anywhere. I promise. Like you're going to have to do it forever. (laughs) Um, and so I think thinking about sacrifice in different terms, right? Like usually we sacrifice for our job, but what about like sacrificing for our lives, right? Sacrificing like for our joy, like saying no to like protect our calmness and stillness and health and wellness. It's such an underrated task that we are tested with. Okay. So do you have any final thoughts you would like to share? <laughs> I'm not sure. Can you give me like a prompt or something? I have the, yeah. uh, the burlesque uh, picture. I was going to, I was going to oh, open. I can completely space. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, I was like, ever since we talked last, I told you on the last call, I was like, you know, I haven't done it yet. I don't think I'm ready. And then I was like, you're never going to be ready. When are you ever going to be ready? I have, friends who like I've talked to not quite so recently, but I thought about a particular friend of mine, his dad passed away and there's like this closet that they just won't clean out. It's like a ghost in your house. You know, it's like haunting you. And like, well, this is a very beautiful ghost. I am being haunted by like a very cute ghost right now. (laughs) And I think I I just need to do it, you know? I'm going to, I'm going to open it. Let me see. Oh, shoot. All right. So I'm not, my mom has a hunch of what she thinks might, who might have written this, but I don't know. I've never met any of these people. They are all lost in time. So when my mom was about eight, my grandma got into like a catastrophic accident. And so that was when she like got on crutches and basically like she could not walk anymore, right? Like she had to like get around on crutches and later like a power scooter. But up until that point, apparently my grandma was quite a hot commodity um, and uh, she was had a very active dating life. <laughs> she apparently had a couple of admirers, and my mom believes that this letter came from one of her admirers, a particular guy. Um, I think she said his name might be Jesse. But if I open this and it's not Jesse, I'm going to be like, wow, my grandma really had, like, the sauce I thought she did. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it could be from a different bachelor. <laughs> what do you hope it's going to be before you open it? Oh, my God. I don't know. I hope it doesn't make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) All right. So it is from Jesse. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, he wrote it. So he's the one who bought her this letter, right? So you see this lady, she's like sitting, you know, she's smoking like very elegantly. She's writing like a love letter, right? She's in the silhouette, hugging dress. Super cute. All right, let me try. (laughs) Well, I see you're just laying around smoking. Who are you writing, your secret lover? (laughs) Just kidding. Anyway, I want to wish you a very, very happy birthday and many, many more. It's funny. You don't look that old. I'm jealous. (laughs) Love, Jesse. Aw, that's really cute. And thank you. That was very very brave of you. Yeah. It feels like it now. Oh, God. My mom said that um, he stopped seeing her shortly after he, she had her accident. Oh. It happens. Life is, life is complicated, you know? Well, now I know. So how do, how do you feel now, now that you've read it? Well, oh, God, it feels like a million things. Ugh. Yeah, take your time. <sighs> Um, I think I feel like, you know, more connected because I know about this little like tiny part of her life, right? That like, I'm sure she's the only one who read this card, you know, other than that guy, Jesse, right? Like I'm in on a little secret or something, right? Like on the other hand, you know, it's like, this is something that hung on my grandma's wall for like, I don't know, maybe like 20, 30 years. Like it was just there. And I don't know if she just liked the art or if she like felt very sentimental about the message. Who knows, right? Like mm-hmm. I could never, I could never fathom, right? Um, I think that in itself, like this letter is like, while it's a love letter, it's also like a letter of loss because I know, like, you know, I heard that this guy left after she had her accident, which life happens, right? But 
it's very sad to think about, you know, that like maybe she really liked this guy. Who knows? I never met him, but my grandma died alone. She died alone in both senses, right? Like she was unmarried in her old age and she literally died alone. And it just, it kind of reminds me of that, which is kind of sad, but I'm glad that I know and I'm going to keep it forever. (laughs) And um, it's a very nice piece of art, no matter what is inside of it. And so to see her being embodied, like as this person in someone's eyes is like, it's very cool to me, you know, that like at some point someone like saw my grandma this way, yeah. um, which is pretty badass. Like who doesn't want to be like a sexy lady in like an evening gown, you know? <laughs> Does it feel like closure in a way? I think this is like the last thing that I never went through of my grandma's. Um, when she passed away, like I went over later that day and like, it was just me and my mom there. And um, we were like there in her space after she died. And I remember this was like the very first thing I went over to like after she died. You know, she had so many other things that like ultimately I was able to like hold on to her with. But when I walked into her house after she died, like this was the very first thing I went to. I don't know why, honestly. Maybe there was always like a small mystery, I think, of like what could be in this card. I thought it wasn't like mine to know. It feels like while she was here, it felt like a secret that should be hers. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it wasn't a secret. It was on her wall, but it was like, it was hers, you know, while she was alive. Um, And I think that when she passed away, like, you know, we went through her things and it's like the last it's like the last bit of privacy you're allowed is like when people finally go through your things when you're dead and, you know, they get to like pick everything apart and throw things away and reminisce and look at pictures and find meaning and all these like things you leave behind. Um, and I think for a long time, I was just scared to open it. I think there's like a sense of finality, knowing that this is one of like the last earthly things with like undiscovered meaning that I have of her. And, uh, it was like very heavy to to know that. Yeah. What made you feel like you were ready? Um, I don't think I was. No. <laughs> well, let me take a step back. Yeah. I don't think I was ready. Okay. But I think lately I've been coming into like a lot of growing pains into like young adulthood. And in a lot of ways, I've been facing like a lot of new challenges that only like you face when you're like an adult. (laughs) And um, I think when someone pushes you and asks you like, hey, you have this really like thing that's meaningful that you're kind of like running from. How about you think about opening it, you know, like a surprise. I think I needed it. I think it felt good secretly to like have this surprise to like look forward to before this interview, you know, it has like, like any frame, you know, it has like these little metal things you have to lift up before you like open the frame. And so before this call, 15 minutes before this call, I was like opening it and it felt like a scary present that I was unwrapping. Like (laughs) it was like, what's going to jump out of this? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. It goes back to, I think, like, I have a lot of, like, I'm a person who typically kind of carries things within me and I don't express what's going on, like, when I'm feeling tumult in my life. And I think that, you know, knowing that I had this, like, little ghost sitting in my room, it made me feel like there's a lot of stuff I can't address, a lot of tumult, a lot of, like, emotional baggage that is is a lot heavier and I think that this was like a small ghost that I was like willing to willing to unearth a little bit today (laughs) willing to befriend yeah that's for sure befriending it yeah it's been staring me in the face for a couple months now so (laughs) it's been about time (laughs) we just heard Jackie talking about how she created safe spaces by advocating for herself and how she also created community 
by sharing her grandmother's legacy with others. To talk more about Jackie's story and some of the things we can learn from it, I called up one of our resident experts, mental health counselor Demika Houston, owner and therapist of Healing Minds in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I am a mental health therapist here in Greater Grand Rapids area in the state of Michigan. I work with young adults and adolescents, working with loss, trauma, anxiety, and depression. I also do a lot of other things within my practice, but that's what my focus is. Let's just get into it. Let's just talk about how did you feel about Jackie's interview? I believe that it was very raw and so relatable in so many different ways, just talking about her loss and the loss of her grandma. And the thing that really stuck out to me the most was in the beginning, and she talked about how her, her, her definition of loss and what that looks like to her and looking at it from two parts. One is the loss of, like, the person physically being there, you know, hugs and kisses and memories, right? But also the loss of future memories and future interactions with that person. And I thought that was really important to kind of identify because sometimes we think about the person being here, but then it doesn't hit us until later and we think about the things that they're going to miss out on. One thing that I, I wanted to discuss is Jackie talked about her grandmother being someone who had a deep respect for other people, and she was always a great listener. And I know that active listening is a tough skill um, to have, and it's, it's tough to develop. Could you maybe speak to or break down what active listening is and how other people can can practice it? Yeah, absolutely. So active listening is really taking yourself out of it. So a lot of times when we have conversations, we are listening to respond. So we're already creating a response in our head on whatever the topic is that we're talking about. And active listening is taking that part out of it. I'm not going to think about a response right now. What I'm going to do is take in all the information that you're telling me and then pausing enough time after you're done talking. So giving you the space to talk and be heard and to feel connected to that person then I'm going to respond based off of all the information that I'm getting. A lot of times we don't do that. How do you not practice performative politeness? How do you not ask the question if you're not ready for the actual answer to the question? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for for some, because it's just second nature to ask, how are you doing, right? How, how are things going with you? Um, and not really realizing, like, there are people who are going to answer that question. Sometimes people do and some people don't. Say, so I'm okay, and just brush it off. But the thing is, depending on who you're, you're kind of asking that question to, really evaluate, are you really asking this question because you want to know how they're doing, or are you asking this question just to be polite? And if it's just to be polite, maybe asking a basic question instead of how are you doing, you know, how are how's today? Instead of, because sometimes when we just ask about how are you doing today, it won't bring you into all the other stuff. Mm. But it's also just being conscious of some people are going to ask, answer that question. And are you ready for the response? Do you have any tips on how you can respond to people when you don't know how to respond or you don't have a response? Yeah. So I always say you don't, don't lie to yourself. And don't lie to other people. You don't have to go in great detail. Um, you don't know. You don't know. You know, how are you feeling today? You know, I don't know how I'm feeling today. I don't have words for what I'm feeling right now. Or how are things going? You know, if you don't want to go into great details, you know, life is going as they are. And I'm, I'm managing it the best that I can. Although there's some vagueness in that. Some people aren't comfortable telling you what's going on in their life. And that's okay. And we need to be able to accept that. Yeah. Right. And it's okay also not to tell everybody what's going on in your life. They don't, everybody don't need to know. Yeah. That's important as, as we unpack, you know, mental health and, and grief on this podcast that we're, we're giving people all of these tips and these ways to open up. But I think it's important to say some, like what you just said, sometimes you don't have to open up. You get to pick and choose who you want to have those conversations with. But you also get to pick and choose how you respond to those conversations. And I think one of the best things that I learned is saying, like, hey, I, I'm sorry that you're going through this. I hear you. I empathize with you. I might not have the tools to help you, 
but can you tell me what you need so that I can find those tools or develop those tools? Absolutely. That's a great response. Yeah. You know, you're allowing that individual to feel heard and you're allowing them the space to add more if they want it to. Right. Mm-hmm. You're hearing them. You're allowing them to speak their needs. And in some way, showing compassion. Yeah. We heard Jackie talking about creating safe spaces for growth and for advocating uh, for herself, with her work and her family members. What would you describe as a safe space? What, is, what does that look like? Safe space, because people can say it's a safe space and it's still not a safe space. So just because you call it a safe space doesn't mean I feel safe in it. So that's a really good question. And so it's really based off the individual. So do you feel comfort? Do you feel like this person that you're going to pour your information into is going to be one, supportive, compassionate, empathetic? Do you feel like they're going to keep whatever it is that you want, you know, safe to you in a non-judgment zone. So non-judgment zone is really important because I want to give a part of me and I don't want to be judged by it. That's what makes it safe. I can tell you how I'm feeling. I can tell you I'm angry. I can tell you I'm upset. I can scream, yell, cry, and don't feel less than in your presence. Yeah. So Jackie talked about how she she started to learn how to cook, even though she was learning with her grandmother, but she leaned into it more once her grandmother passed away, and she was doing it in her honor. And then she was finding and building new communities to honor that relationship through cooking, like the Sunday brunches that she would do with the potlucks. So could you talk about what the significance of building something like that into your life means in honor of somebody else and why we tend to to do things like that? But one of the things that we do as humans is we still want to find connection. Even when we lose something, we still want to find a way. How do we still stay connected to it? And so we create things or we create a place or a space um, to stay connected to that loved one. And Jackie's connection is through cooking and remembering her grandma through connecting with other people and creating a space for them. And that's one way that she continues to thrive and continue to remember her grandma. You know, although her grandma didn't get a chance to teach her how to cook, she did it based off of that memory of knowing that her grandma loved to cook and how she was with people and how she was compassionate to others. And she utilized that. She took those memories and she continued to keep those alive. Yeah. And even not not cooking, right? Like you say, my grandmother uh, cooked, but she created community throughout mm-hmm. her relationship to cooking. So okay. how I can keep that tradition going is I can create community in multiple different ways. It doesn't just have to be cooking. I think that's something that, that I wanted to, to talk to you about, but I saw something online this week that was really important. It talked about how you shouldn't have kids to carry on your legacy. Your legacy should be your own, and their lives and their legacies should be their own. But what is the significance and the importance of saying it's not a legacy, but it is a family tradition? Mm-hmm. That's good. Because there's so much controversy and tradition, right, and family tradition, what that looks like and how some people are staring away from family tradition. And legacy really is about how people are identifying it, right? Um, How are you identifying legacy and what does that look like? Is it tradition? Because sometimes legacy is passing on tradition. I'm passing on these things that I was taught by my grandmother and my my great-grandmother and my my grandma's grandma's, right? And so I'm passing this on to my daughter so she can pass those on. So some people will say that is legacy, right? Keeping a memory of family, family traditions alive. Or is that the legacy of community? Am I keeping that alive? Is that tradition, right? Being able to give to others, create community, create a safe space, create a healing space, and passing that along. And even if that's legacy, anyone can pick that up in the remembrance of you. You're known for being compassionate and giving back to the community through philanthropy or whatever. Someone can pick that up because you touched their lives. And so sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be family either to keep on legacy so it really just depends on how you're identifying and how you're pouring it into individuals. Yeah. I think that in society, working all the time, being high performers, it can be really hard to set around that, set aside that time to grieve. Do you think it's important to set aside that time to grieve? No, I think there, there 
is the time that you should set for grieving. And I think it's really interesting because if you look at different cultures, you know, some cultures, like in the Jewish community, they give you like a week to grieve a loss. Like you go through this whole process of grief. You know, in the African community, they go through this whole process of grieving and how they grieve and how they celebrate life. In the Western American culture, we don't do that very often. It really just depends on the family and individual. And so we know that loss is something that stays with us. Because we, it's a piece that we were connected to that's no longer there, and our 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 spirits, our soul, our bodies is earning for it. And so we're gonna always have a piece of us that's kind of lingering out there. And so how do we manage that? And if we are constantly being productive and and distracting ourselves with work, we never get give our body, our our mind, our spirit the chance to actually heal. And then eventually, what happens because we are not allowing our body to process what what happened to us, we will break down. It will come out in some other aspects. And that's not what we want because yeah. then that's an uncontrolled thing. Whereas when we allow ourselves to go through the process and grieve and feel the emotion and understand what happened, we're, a lot, we're able to control everything. Yeah. So I, what I, what I want to ask is um, for high activity and high energy individuals could you provide us with some sort of practices for just like slowing down and reflecting on our own lives yes so individuals who are used to just go on the go 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 right high high energy right high productivity and one thing that i've noticed that worked is your scheduling in that time Right, because if you're always on the go, you're always on the move, you will miss just making time for it, right? Because there's going to always be something that you put before it. So if you schedule that time, like I'm going to schedule, this is the time I'm going to schedule just for me, just to sit and just to be quiet and or meditate or just be with me and process everything that's going on and how I'm feeling, and what I'm thinking, so I can start that process, and I can start that healing. Or I give myself time. I, I know that some people is like, I can't cry, you know, around people. So they schedule time to just, like, cry and get all their emotions out. Sometimes that works because they're so busy, and they feel like they never have time to do it. And so for our high, high energy, high productivity, you might have to schedule that in. I mean, it sounds weird, mm-hmm. but it works. I, I love that, to, to be honest, Tamika. I think that's really important because we schedule in everything else. Like, this is my time for tea. This is my time for my favorite TV show. This is my time to shower. This is my time to do whatever. Yeah, this is this is the time where I'm going to sit with myself and see if I can cry. So are there any other tips that you would, you know, give our young listeners based off of uh, Jackie's interview today? One thing that I I actually enjoy doing that I've done most recently last year when my dad passed is write a letter. Mm. Um, I know it's weird, but writing a letter and depending on what your beliefs are, some of us feel like they're still here in spirit, right? Um, Or we still are connected to them in some way. And writing a letter about how things are going in your life as if you were able to talk to them because that maybe be the only way that you can stay connected. Um, And then even writing a goodbye letter, because sometimes we don't always get the chance to say goodbye to our loved ones. Sometimes the the loss is literally unexpected, and we just did not get a chance to say our last words or something that we wanted to say. So writing a letter can be very peaceful. It can allow you to express all the emotions that you have, as well as trying to find um, a way to make amends or a way to just say your last words. Yeah, that's something that I didn't mention um, earlier, and I'm glad you said that that unexpected loss and maybe writing a letter because— Jackie talked about how they moved out of their home for four months and this home was being reconstructed so that her grandmother could come there and be in a comfortable space or be able to navigate the space, you know, as she as she got older. And then, you know, she said right before that, she just unexpectedly passed away. So we did, it seemed like we did all of this for nothing or it seems like we're going to have to live in this space that was set up for her and that might be more 
grief or more of of a trigger. So your advice mm-hmm. to that would be say goodbye to those things and these people, even if you feel like it didn't happen on the timeline you expected it to happen on. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is what does it look like if it's an unexpected loss? You know, how does that look for you? For Jackie's situation, your whole house was rearranged and changed, right? Because we have this unex- this expectation that you're still going to be here for a while. And how do we deal with that, right? I'm expecting you to be here for years on out, and now you're not, right? So, yeah, that can be, I think, the hardest thing to deal with. And each individual and how they grieve is going to be special and unique to them based off the relationship that they had. And I think it's great because there are so many different ways to grieve and it's okay. And this, and you don't have to pick just one. You can grieve in multiple ways. Jackie talked a lot about celebrating her grandmother's life through cooking. Here's a performance by Omawale Cultural Society that celebrates the ancestors. It's called Lamba. If you have a mental health concern and need someone to talk to, please contact a mental health professional or your doctor. Remember, the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. This episode was produced by me, Natasha T. Miller, Patrick Vaughn, our executive producer, David Lyons, and our editor, David Weinberg. Theme music by Jordan Davis, with sound design and additional music by Sam Bobian, with additional production support from Shamin Sultana, Kaylin Higgins, Holly Ann Stewart, Erin Appleby, Maida Stangy, and Antoine Scott. And the last song you heard was Lamba by Omawale Cultural Society. Earlier, I mentioned a book I wrote about grief and cooking. It's called Butcher. If you like this episode, you might enjoy the book too. Butcher can be found in any major bookstore on buttonpoetry.com or on amazon.com. The Science of Grief podcast is a collaboration between Science Gallery Detroit and WDET, Detroit's NPR station, and is supported by the Children's Foundation of Michigan, MSU, FCU, and Science Sandbox.